0: Be calm. Tamar's on. Tamar's on. 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 Welcome to Tamar Talks, where music is constant and discovery is endless.
1: Now your host is
0: ready to tell it all.
1: Ashley Tamar. Hey, you guys. What's up? It's your girl Ashley Tamar. It is Friday, April 16th. A happy early birthday to my daddy. April 17th is my dad's birthday. I'm so excited and grateful to be the daughter of my dad and my mom. You guys, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. I love doing these podcasts. I say that all the time, but I just wanted to say I love it so much. But we're going to get right into this interview with Morris Hayes because we are remembering our dear friend, mentor, colleague, my cousin, my uncle, my brother, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) Prince Rogers Nelson. Hate to remember him in a time like this but hey we all have got to go at one point in time and he has done so much to the music community he was a man just like any other man he had his flaws but one thing I will cherish is that he took years off of my career in marketing and so this podcast is bringing on Mr. Morris Hayes so I hope you guys enjoy it for all of you guys who are singers artists creatives posting things on YouTube listen up YouTube checks now warns of copyright problems before you post. And just wanna give you guys a very big secret. I posted one of my own original songs that I did with Prince and they took it down years ago. They have a three strike rule. Well, now if you post on YouTube, They will now check to see if you have any music in your YouTubes. And they will basically kind of tell you if you can post from here on out. And so I'm going to be doing more vlogs, which I'm loving doing. I thank you guys so much for sharing them. But I will be doing more vlogs on sites in which you can pay for the music that you want to put in your YouTubes moving forward. And it kind of sucks because for us artists who really want to get out more other artists or show our inspiration we really can't do that anymore and it's kind of crazy because the artists are still at the small part of the totem pole when it comes to our music getting out there so now basically you guys are going to have to really pay and watch the things that you post so basically if you post on youtube you will see that flag coming to you you might have a three strikes you're out and basically the new tool tells a creator ahead of time if their video contains copyrighted material the system relies on the company's content ID algorithm and it determines if your content your content contains a possible violation and if it does that doesn't prevent you from posting the video but it does automatically notify the copyright holder first and what we're finding out is a lot of artists are not wanting to do that at all they are not wanting to let people monetize off of it so just wanted to give you guys a heads up thank you guys for following me on all my social media, thank you for the messages, thank you for the prayers, the encouragement. I love it so much. If you haven't checked out my new website, ashleytamar.com, I have some new merch up. I did just give away some milk and honey exclusive folders. I have so many more surprises coming your way. I have a hint for you HBO Max May in the month of May. <laughs> but, anyways, it's your girl Ashley Tamar. I am so excited to get into this interview. I met Morris, you guys, actually, when I was 13 years old. He is the reason outside of God, you using him. He is the reason that I actually was in Paisley Park at 13 and then all of a sudden in 2005 history was made. Please enjoy this interview with my friend Morris Hayes.
2: This is the Tang Mart
1: podcast.
0: Well I I guess I gotta start from the beginning because I tell the story about how I met you but I think you'll help me fill in some gaps because yeah. I didn't really know much about you outside of your amazing composer. And my cousin just absolutely just adored you, you know, as a person. And of course, all the women just did the most handsome thing in the world. <laughs> and I remember she was just describing you to my mom. Uh, and I just saw you as, you know, like a big brother from day one. So maybe you yeah, can tell yeah. me, like, what was going on at that time? What year was it that I met you? What were you doing? And honestly, for me, How did you get started, Morris? You are just like a beast. Like, how did you get started?
3: Well, that's, that's first things first. Let's talk about how, how you came into my orbit. Uh, (laughs) it was around 93, 94, I think like 93. And, uh, we were doing some dates at Radio City Music Hall in New York. And, um, we had like three nights of Radio City. And, uh, your cousin gave me this tape. Of, I happened to be like hanging out at the uh, at the at the uh, venue there, and I went out of the there's like a back stage door entrance, and and uh, and, I, and I met her, and she had this tape, uh, and she says, hey, you know, uh, you told me her name and everything. This is like, you know, I got my cousin. She's an amazing singer, blah blah blah, and and you got to check her out, and, and and I would get a lot of like tapes and. Stuff like that. Back then, it was like cassette tapes was the thing. I'd get a lot of these cassette tapes, right? And um, and I was I was very direct with the people who gave me tapes. I said, Look, uh, I, I I'm not gonna promise anything, but I what I promise is that I'm gonna listen to it. I, I'm, and I said, If it's booty, I'll it's been filed t- thirteen. I'm gonna throw it away. I said, But if it's cool, I'll call you back. Like I, I'll I'll reach out or whatever, you know. Because I would get a lot of these things, and I'd be at the end of the tour. I'd have a bunch of tapes in my road case, you know. And so what I would do when I got back home, like off the road, I'd take all the tapes that I collected on the road and I'd just get in a chair and I'd say, okay, today is tape day. And I'm going to go through every tape, like it or not, I don't care. I'm just going to go through every tape, listen to what everybody sent. And uh, I got to your tape. And uh, it was one of those things where when you listen to it, you had to pull the tape out and look again and say, like, holy, this girl, like, what? It was like oh my god, this is crazy! Like uh, I took the tape back out and looked at it. And I was like, wait a minute, man, who is this? And I saw the name on it. And I said, man, I got to call these folks, man. I said, this is bananas right here. And uh, I I mean I reached out and then did, you know you know how it came after that and just was like man, look what what's up? Like what can we do? It was like it's funny uh, uh, actually. It's funny because. Around a little bit earlier, another fella had the same effect that you did uh, on me, except for this person never made it to, uh, this was, a little, it was prior to my Prince uh, time. There was a young fella by the name of Smokey Norfolk, uh, And Smokey, uh, somebody brought him to me when he was like 12. And Smokey came and sang in, in in my hotel room when I was down in Arkansas doing a, playing at a wedding or something. I had came And everybody was like telling me, like, have you heard this kid, Smokey? And so it was the same thing. And so, of course, we know Smokey's a big gospel artist now, and, and he's doing really well, blah, blah, blah. You two had that same effect because, like, when I heard it, I was just like, it was just unbelievable, number one, that you were that age and that you had that kind of vocal control at that age. I just couldn't – I could not fathom it. I was like, this is – one of those anomalies where you just like find the four leaf clover and all of the field of, of, of clovers. And then it's just like, that tape was that. I probably still have that tape. If it wasn't that in the fire, I probably still have it. But, um, it, that was like, man. And so of course, I tell Levi and them about it. Like I, I we, we get you down and I'll get you up rather. And, uh, and we do this and, and it's like, Oh my gosh. And then I took it over to Paisley and Levi and Prince heard it, and, and then the rest is history. It was like, yeah, it was crazy.
0: You know, so are talking about so... a
3: little four-track.
0: <laughs> so what, what, was, what were you doing, like, around that time outside of, like, performing? Like, were you composing, and was that something that you always wanted to do, or you just, you know what I mean? Because you always brought around yeah. good talent, but...
3: Two of my biggest heroes are, are Jim and Jam and Terry Lewis, all right? I always... You know, Prince was like, for me, Prince was so severe, like as a as a player. Prince stuff was way, I, you know, I just felt like his stuff is so hard. Like, he's like, golly, this is like so crazy dope. I just felt like Jam and Lewis was like that. They had figured out a formula that does, like, the music was just like, it wasn't complex, but it was like dope. This is like they just had that, that they found the magic key that's like, that's like all of that stuff that they was doing was just clobbering. And it was stuff that I felt like I, I could do that. I was like, man, see, this is like right down my alley. I could do this. I, I think I can do this because it was just simple hooks, grooves. And, and so that's what I really was trying to do, like really be on the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis page. And I had another dude that I used to write with because Prince, again, he was like, he wrote his own lyrics. He played all the instruments and he did all of this stuff. But I I didn't, I wasn't really like the the lyricist kind of guy. So I had another guy named Greg saying that we used to write like lyrics. He used to write lyrics. And so I kind of, we kind of fancied ourselves wanting to be like Jam and Lewis. You know, we wanted to be dark side productions. And I was always trying to like be a writer. And even when I was in the band Maserati, uh, Motown decided, you know, they wanted Greg and I to be like this duo, like a keyboard player and a singer, like Mike Murphy and david frank in the system they wanted to have a a group like that on on motown uh that was like that kind of vibe and they were kind of grooming us to do that until the record label got sold to mca and then everything changed over uh you know personnel flipped and everything flipped and so a lot of deals go out the window when that kind of thing happens but that's that's kind of where we were so i was always trying to like write songs and doing writing songs for local talent and and, and different kind of things like that. And and, and I get, would get a project here and there. Like I did a soundtrack for a Mark Lawrence movie uh, that they used in the film and just like stuff like that, just like whatever was coming down the line. I did a lot of like industrial commercials and, and stuff like that. Just, you know, just, just making a hustle in the music game, you know, just wherever I could get in. And so uh, every now and again, I'd run up on an artist like you and then it's like, whoa, my God. That's when it's just like pay dirt, when it's like, holy smokes you found something here you really got something and so uh but but all along that's what the vibe was. It was just like getting a hustle you know just doing whatever you had to do
0: so so where where are you born and raised and like how did you start playing the keys like i mean because you ain't no just composer that you know plays piano like you have a different musical ear so where did you it all start
3: well, here's the deal. I I'm I'm actually full circle. I'm I'm, I'm living now in a town where I was, where pretty much where I was born. I was born in a place uh called Pine Bluff Arkansas. And I, and I am from a town called Jefferson which is about 20 miles from Pine Bluff right now. So it's kind of out in the middle of the woods I'm in the in the woods. And um it was funny because you know as a kid I you know I, I was more interested in sports and basketball, and I played a little football until I was like in eighth, ninth grade or something like this, eighth grade. And then I started playing basketball. Um, And um, that was kind of was my thing. Music was just kind of like a secondary, tertiary thing that I could do. Um, But it really wasn't like the crux of my being. Like that's what I was like, you know, it's just like I could play a little bit because I could hear stuff. It's kind of crazy now that I think about it because it's like you know. I always look at music like it's a gift, and it's like I, it's just something that I could hear. I didn't understand why things resonated the way they did. Like like I would hear certain pieces of a song that was that was cool, uh, and uh, and and so that was a thing that uh, was very cool for me. Hang on a second. Uh, So, so, um, so that was a very cool thing for me that I was able to uh, to 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 do is to have a musical thing. But I would hear stuff and would be like, what, like, why do I hear this particular part of the of the song? Like, why do I hear this? And so later on, it just like I, I figured that I could hear things and then just kind of pick it out. My mom had a piano in the house. And, and then uh, I could just kind of peck out these uh, these parts and, and, and just kind of hear it and kind of do it. And so that was kind of a thing that I felt I, 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 had, I could hear it. And so my mom put me in some musical lessons for, for a hot minute. And uh, I, I wasn't real crazy about it, but what she would do is she would show me the lesson, like play the lesson at the book and then, uh, you know, say, okay, this is your lesson for next week. Here it is. I'm going to play it. This is how it goes. And I would memorize it. I'd listen to it. And then I'd come back the next weekend. For my le- And I'd play the song back. This went on for a few weeks. And she figured out, she said, you know what? Uh, she said, I, I think what you're doing is you're memorizing the, the, the lesson and you're playing. She said, that's. Not ideal, but that's amazing that you can do that. She said, because cause I'd look at the page like I was doing it, <laughs> but then uh, it would be this this weird thing. And so it was just really crazy, and I, and I just had an ear, and I could just pick out stuff. But again, music was not my main thing. I liked art and like comic books, and I, and I actually got a scholarship at the University of Arkansas on an art scholarship. And it wasn't until I started, like, uh, uh, going to college and then, like, hanging out with guys who could really sing. And one of the guys that was in my band was in a group called the Mac Band. He was um, D-Mac, and he was uh, in that group that Babyface in L.A., one of their early productions. And uh, he was a frat brother of mine in college, and uh, these dudes could get it. You know, and I was in this band. And and it wasn't really until college that um, the, the one guy who was the real keyboard player in the band, his name was Buck Henry, was really playing the parts. I was just kinda of like waving at the girls and playing. And then he had to stop because he had to actually do his schoolwork. And then I had to learn all of these songs because we we're gonna be playing at one of Bill Clinton's um um uh fundraisers. And they said, Well dude, you gotta do all of the music now. And so I had to actually go and wish he had to learn the songs we had been playing all along and because I didn't know the parts to them. I just got of know a couple of few parts. And when I got through that gig, it was like, you know, I could, I, I dig this, I could do this, I, could, I felt like I could do this, like after I had to woodshed a bit, but it was that kind of a thing. Music just kind of hit me later on.
0: That's interesting though, because like, um, I would have sworn you've been doing this since you were just like four years old or something like that, and then oh, you know, you're gosh, saying no. you're coming from Arkansas. So wait, so when did you get to Minneapolis, or did I miss that?
3: No, you didn't miss it. So, 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 okay. so that, so you see, that's the funny part because I was terrible at church. I used to play at church, you know, and it's like, you know, a church. They don't trip. It's like, it's like that thing. Like, ooh, that's okay, baby. Ooh, ooh, ooh just <laughs> notes. But that's okay, baby. You just keep on pressing, <laughs> keep on going. You're doing good, you know. <laughs> it was that kind of thing. And so, but what happened is, you know, to, to, to kind of to, to to speed it along. um, I was, uh, 1979, uh, this is kind of give my age away, but in 1979, I was, uh, watching this show, Soul Train, and Patrice Russian was on, and that girl was, she was killing this Fender Rhodes, and, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I said it out loud, I said, man, I want that Fender Rhodes, and there was a lady sitting on the couch with my mom, they were a gospel traveling group called the Shaw Singers, and they used to, you know, come down and play, there from Tennessee, and... They would come uh, to us and we'd go to their church sometimes. And uh, she um, said, Oh, I got one of those things. I don't, she said, I don't, I don't uh, like it. Johnny bought me this thing and I thought it was going to sound like a piano. It don't sound like a piano. So she said, You can have it. You know, we it's, it's, you owe about $600 on it. You pay the rest of it off and you can just have it. I'm like, wow. a "Fender roads, like 88. I'm like tripping. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, it was crazy. Like, I'm like, Yeah. So I got this thing and then I went to Tennessee. And I met uh, this pastor that, was, that, that happened to be at this church where they were at, named Clay Evans. And Clay Evans had a, Reverend Evans had a uh, church in Chicago. I was going to be going to school in Chicago to divide. I had a, again, I was going to divide to do some computer, uh, study computer programming. And I went and joined that church because that's where my aunt went to church at. And so I met him in Tennessee. I told him I saw him on television. And I said, one day I'm going to play at your church. And, and now I didn't realize when I walked up to this man, I mean, this dude was a big deal. He had like bodyguards and stuff back then in the seventies. And he had some people with him and I just walked up to him and while he was in transit and just told him like, I, I see you on TV, Reverend Evans, my uncle, your church. I'm gonna, one day I'm going to join, I'm going to play with you. And he said, well, son, you come on, you know, you come on. And uh, a couple few years later, I think around 82, 83, I went and joined the church. This was crazy to my like, this is what's crazy. I went to the church, you know, you know, when they do the thing where you sit and they, and at the end of the sermon, they say, all right, we're going to extend the, uh, the invitation, you know, to join the church. And they put mm-hmm. the chairs out, you know? So I was no sitting yet. there, you know, I was sitting <laughs> there and I got on up. They're like, Oh, here we go. Come on up here. You know? And I went. <laughs> And, and, and Reverend Clay said, he said, he said, now look here, this young man right here, I met in Tennessee. He remembered who I was because so he told me, he said, man, you did good tonight with, you him know, playing. He said, this young man, I met down in Tennessee and he told me he was going to come and join this church. Now this dude remembered me after that was wow. like 82 or three. And I had met him in 79. He said, uh, he turned around to his choir. like I mean, and he had some of the baddest musicians in Chicago. Like, they was, they was killers. He turned around to him and said, Y'all take him in. He's going to be in the music ministry. And he turned around to his, his guys, Michael and, and, and Roy and all the guys that was the, the, the keyboard players. He said, I want y'all to take him in. His son, Ralph, uh, was an w- amazing player. He was there too. He just turned around to him and said, Y'all take him in. I want him in the music ministry. And y'all work with him. Y'all work with him. And that right there accelerated my keyboard situation because Revin had the baddest keyboard players, Brian Jones, uh, you know, uh, Dewan Richardson, all of these guys were these amazing, amazing, like some of the best in Chicago was at his church. And, uh, you know, uh, once that happened, it was just like my whole music thing. It just went through the stratosphere because just being able to sit around five or six of the baddest dudes in Chicago was like amazing just to be able to just kick in um, that information. And so that just kind of set it off and, and, and music really just started. Everything else, like the computer, pro- I ended up dropping out of the computer program and really focusing. And then what happened was my same frat brothers that um, that I went to the University of Arkansas with ended up getting, a, you know, uh, about to be getting a deal with Motown on the of, like a, the, a deal with their band. They called me to move to Memphis, Tennessee and, uh, and to accelerate this I moved to Memphis, got with this band. We got the, you know, Prince came to town uh, around the, that, had to be like in mid-80s, like 84, somewhere in there. Purple Rain was around that time, right around that time. Uh, the band I played with was playing at a, a club, and, and so the, the, the Prince crew came down. This is in Memphis, Tennessee. They came down, saw the band, came up after the show was like, dude, we have, we see a lot of people playing our songs and they butcher our music and, um, they, they, they absolutely murder our songs. that you guys play it like we do. So Craig Rice and, uh, some other Mark Brown and some other people that was in the band was like, you know, gave us like big kudos to the band. And, and, and then we ended up kind of forging this relationship with Mark, Mark Brown. So, we decided, you know, a year or two later or whatever that we wanted to go to Minneapolis and do a demo with Mark, you know, Mark was producing. He had Maserati, he had uh uh you know some a girls group he was working with. He was still, you know, doing some stuff recording from Motown and everything. He was working with Troop and Stacy LaTosa like all these folks like he's producing, like he's working with them. Chico Debarge and so we wanted him to do our demo. So we came to Minneapolis and 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 the rest is history, uh, the lead singer and I ended up going into group Maserati and then uh, uh that kind of parlayed into me shooting the video with Mark and his band and when Prince saw me at uh, uh like shooting the video, this was like right after the old Batman uh movie was out, you know, uh Prince was just like Paisley Park was just rolling. And we shot the video in Paisley. And so Prince had asked Craig, he said, who's this guy? Like, can he really play? Because, you know, the music videos, people don't even have to know how to play. they just in the video because they look cool. But um, he asked if I could play. And then Craig, oh, yeah, yeah, he plays for real. He can, yeah, he's good. He he's, can play for real. And so everything just kind of like formulated after that situation as far as my connection into the Paisley Park world.
0: But, more you're so chill and so laid back. Were you ever like... Were you ever have you ever been starstruck? Because you you have such a presence anyway Oh, my your gosh. heart and all that stuff. Were you oh starstruck when you started working with all these people? Man, I
3: was <laughs> eating my own shoes, man. I mean, are you kidding? Okay, this is what I did. When I when I started when Craig gave me a job at Paisley, I was a production assistant. And so what that meant is I had a walkie talkie. And and <laughs> what I was doing they was I I was like working on the Graffiti Bridge movie as a PA. And so I had a walkie-talkie, and I was driving the van to go pick up the talent. So I had to go pick up Kevin Campbell or, or, you know, Mavis Staples or George Clinton, you know, whoever needed to be picked up from the hotel. I'd drive the van, pick up the talent, radio in, like, I got, you know, 1020 on Kevin, and on Kevin Campbell or whoever, and just say I got them and bringing them to your scenes or whatever. You know, that was my job. And then I got a kind of a little break. Uh, when I uh, I was in George Clinton's band uh, for one of the scenes in the movie. So I took off my walkie-talkie, they got me some wardrobe, and then put me in George Clinton's band on a song called Weekend Funk. And that got me in Graffiti Bridge in the movie. And then once the scene was over, I went got my walkie-talkie, put my regular clothes back on, and went back to work, kind of a thing. And, and, and I remember what, what got my notice with Prince, because I had been around Paisley and hanging out with Levi and hanging out with Mark and doing stuff, but Prince never talked to me. you know he'd see me and be like, "Okay, who is this mystery? meets giant soul brother that's in there hanging out, but he never would say anything. he just look at me and keep it moving and so um, you know, and I knew enough being around Craig and enough you know just like the best way to stay around Prince is to be invisible, just you know some people like get themselves into trouble because they laugh too hard or they trying to interject into the conversation and, and then you bring attention to yourself. And I knew to be, just be quiet, just hang out and just be cool, just be quiet. And so I'd sit far away. I didn't, when the joke would happen, I would have to hold my laughter so that I wouldn't make, wouldn't make myself be a big, you know, that, that I would be noticed. And I, I remember sitting there one day and I and uh, Levi was working on a, a track for the time, it was Shake and we were doing like some remixes. And so he just threw me a bone, like, you know, give me some money. Like, like here, you can play on this session. I need a keyboard player on this session. So he just got me a session, you know. And uh, I did this stuff, and then he said, man, I, I wouldn't mind doing, like, a remix, like a like an up-tempo, like a club track. And I just happened to have my little keyboard there that had a sequencer in it. And I just kind of offered up. I said, well, I happen to have a club track, uh, just in case. You know, I could change the tempo or whatever. And, I, and he said, yeah, let me check it out. I, I, I got the track. He said, oh, this is hot. Okay, cool. We're going to use this. So we did the track. And then I did this solo. Like on the track, you know, I got a little solo. And uh, apparently, they, you know, they sent it up to Eric Lee, uh, uh, to Alan Leeds, who was running the, the, Paisley, Park, uh, the, the, uh, the Paisley Park record label at the time. And um, it got up to him. And I had met uh, Alan a few times, so he knew who I was. And so I just saw him, and he said, hey, man, that was cool. That was a great solo you did on the track, on the time record. That was cool. And so I was in the studio with Levi and Prince and a, and some, a few other people that have been there hanging out. And Prince said to me, like, he said, um, uh, look there, he said, nice solo. And and I was looking at him like, like, you talking to me? Because he never said nothing to me. Before. <laughs> so, I mean, this dude come in. He just talked to who he talked to. And I would just be sitting on it. would just look at me and keep it moving. And so he said something, and I was looking around like. Like and he said, you. I said, yeah. Uh, he said, you played the solo, right? I said, yeah. He said, I'm talking to you. And I said, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> like, cool. Thank you. Uh, and after that, it's like it was cool. So I could hang, and he, you know, we'd all laugh. And it, but that was the kind of the moment where he was like, yeah, this dude can play. He can hang. He can he can hang with us. You know. And it got cool at that point. So I I would be like tore up cuz I got Jimmy Jam in there. I got Jesse, like everybody Morris and all of them were there. Like Mavis was there. George was there. Like it was crazy. Like Tevin Campbell was just like, you know, this is when he first started. He was like Quincy's next Michael Jackson. So they were putting everything in the Tevin at that at that time. And so it was bananas just seeing everybody in there. Jam and Lewis would be You know, Jimmy especially would be like on a Nintendo. They'd be in in Tevin and they'd be playing Nintendo. I'd just be in there like tripping, like, man, this is banana sandwiches right here. These dudes up in here, like they just at home playing video games, waiting to go shoot their scenes and maybe Staples talking. And it was just bananas. So I was just like, it was a dream. And I was happy to be at the studio, even driving the van, you know, I was happy to be there just driving a van just so I could be in that energy and just be in the studio. And, and so I do my little job and then they'd let me hang. And so that was kind of cool. And it just kind of like worked my way into the situation. I just wanted to be where the creative process was happening.
0: Do you still think that today music has that kind of energy, like, with some of our great leaving and all the other stuff, do you think like some of the artists are able to really experience, because we've been blessed to experience those kind of moments, you know what I mean? Um, and and yeah, I think like we, that we, has a lot really to do have. with the artistic nature, you know what I mean? Um, the lack of the artistic yeah. um, nature in the music music business. Do you feel it they do? Or are you just kind of like... Absolutely.
3: Mm. I, I, no, absolutely. I think there's a there's been a seismic shift. And not only... Music, but how music is done, you know what I mean everything is is um it's 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 like and and and, and not that like'cause there's some great music that's out there that's there's some really really good great artists there's some really really great music and in, in, in a lot of respects uh in a lot of respects there's a lot of cookie cutter stuff that's like it's like it's like when you can buy fresh vegetables or fresh stuff as opposed to getting it out of a can. It's like everybody got a laptop as a producer now. Everybody's just like, you know, the studio's in the bedroom. You can get a hit album. And I ain't, I ain't hating on nobody. I'm not mad at nobody that if you can get a hit in your bedroom, like, kudos to you. Great. But that's, it's a mentality thing and, and in terms of, like, You know, uh, people can just go, you can just order a package of loops and a package of samples and a package of this and just just do it. What was cool about then is the organic creation process of the music, how things went together. You had to understand how music worked. Before there was auto-tune and a lot of other things that are tools now. And I get it, man. I use tools like that kind of stuff. I get it. Because most people didn't have the kind of money to go in a place like a Paisley Park or a a situation like that You didn't have the loot to just go in and stay at a studio for a week a time. But, you know, uh, technology has changed, but it also has changed the experience of how music is created and the people who created the music. You know, I got to be at Paisley Park and witness some incredible things. I mean, Sting, uh, uh, Steve Vai, uh, R.E.M., Samine so Dion, all these people would come through the studio and be using like you know, like using the studio and be walking through the halls and 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 I, I remember Steve Vai stopped me one day, man. And this dude is like, you know, Steve Vai is a bad joker. This dude played the devil in Crossroads. He was bad as he want to get, bad as he want to be, and he was like, bro, like man, I'm a huge Prince fan. Will you give him this guitar? Like he had a seven string guitar. that that was one of his brands and his company, Ibanez. They made uh, his own signature guitar that had seven strings on it. And so he's like, yeah, dude, Prince is like one of my heroes and I want him to have this. And he gave it to me and I'm like, oh my God, Steve I just gave me a guitar to give to Prince. This is too much. This is heavy right here, right? So I take it to Prince and just Prince being Prince, he's funny, man. He said, what's this? I said, hey, man, Steve Vai is like working in Studio Hey, Like he's over there, man, and he got this guitar. This is one of his signature series guitars, man. He said he wants you to have it. He said, I said, what is it? I said, it's a seven string. He said, mm-hmm. I can do what I need to do with six. <laughs> so I was wow. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, but I think he just wants you to have it. You got to play it, but, <laughs> but but it was just so funny. But it was just such a cool moment because again, you're talking about some heavies and and some people that I, I have a lot of respect and a lot of admiration. And these folks would come to the studio, and you could hear the creation process. You know, when I first met Maceo and Fred Wesley and Pee Wee and all them cats from uh, from from James Brown and 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 Pee Funk. And Gary Shider and them was at uh, they were all at Paisley Recording. I, they would come in the re, in the room and just be playing the parts that they played on some of the most legendary records in the history of music. Like it's like getting Jacques Cousteau to clean out your fish tank. It was crazy that this man is playing this part by itself. So you hear how it sounded without it being on the record. It was that kind of stuff is invaluable, and I and I feel, you know, for for people who don't either have access it's 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 a it's a tough thing because those th- those kind of moments are kind of like uh, incredible to me but it's like far and few between there's so many artists now there's so many people that's like that's, that that can come out and do all of this stuff but the, the you know you know from your training and from your experience back in the day when you was a shorty starting out in the game it wasn't all of this you had to sing every part on every track and you had to do it over and over. That's why it took weeks and weeks and months to record records back then. Stevie and them and, and Donald Fagan from like Steely Dan, they would work on an album for five or ten years. That's how long they would work on a record for five years. Michael, would, would there would be years in between those records because... They were they were doing stuff that like they had programmers, they had players, they had all of these people that would come and work on these records and meticulously design stuff. That's why those records are historic and that's why they're unique, because there's so much work that got put into them. And and again, not that it's a lot of cool music. I, there's artists that I love that's like that's like cool right now. And and I, and I love. The work that they do, but some of these folks can go in. I Beyonce can go in the studio, and one week later, the album is done in a week, and it's yeah. done. Yeah. And, and and that's crazy to me. That's like because tech technology is like okay, I sang it once, copy paste that, boom, 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 and not that you know we all know Beyonce can go get it. She can do. She can sing it. She's gonna be in key. She can go get it. But a, a lot of people are not in her. Status, not in that level. The, the technology is, is driving the day and it is what's making that music do what it do. And so then when you go to see them, if the computer breaks down, we got a problem because they can't sing it and they can't do it. <laughs> so, the auto tune went off or the tech went off and so they in trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could talk for days about that. I think it's all, you know, the fast turnaround. And, of course, the social media has a lot to do with it, too. And I think what you're saying is, you know, it all plays hand in hand. Like, people's mindsets are not, you know, um, they're not even regurgitating the sounds. Like, they hear once and they're on it for, like, a day and then they're on to something else, which is bringing to my next question. Like, what do you think brings what we've done to life as far as an experience. There's a difference to just have a song and have a hit versus something that's like timeless and it becomes an experience. Do you think it has a lot to do with where it starts, like the musicianship? Do you think it's the sound? Do you think it's how it's recorded? Like, what do you think plays into that? Because technology to me is definitely, it's just a cesspool of a lot, it's just a lot.
3: Well, well, here's what's happening from, from my advantage, from what I can see. See it always at the end of the day it will it, everything comes is is cyclical. It's gonna come around and it just sometimes it if you notice the needle on a record, if the needle's on the outside of the record it takes a lot longer to come around. The needle goes around the inside of the record a lot shorter. So everything happens in these cyclical time spans. And and what's happening now is COVID has made a situation where Technology is cool, but it ain't going to help you that much now. You've got to be able to do it. See, where you have always been great, in my opinion, is that when you take the smoke and the lights and all of that stuff out of it, can you sit down and flat foot sing? Can you go get it? Stand up on your own. You know, I heard Prince talking to Clyde Davis one time. And it was, it was, a, man, I can say this now. It was a eye opener for me. Because Prince went in on Clive Davis. We were in London and we were sitting, and he said some very incredible things to this man as we sat there. You know, Clive is talking about the record and the sales and this and that other. And he said, "You know, Prince, you're not selling a lot of records." And he says, and "Prince says, let me see if I get this right. So I'm gonna make the record and I and I got the to sell it. Say, what did you get a check for, Clive? What are you getting a check for?" He said, "Because uh, if I got to make the record and selling it, then I don't need you." <laughs> i was like oh ooh. i was like oh my god he just went in on clive and he said clive what if i put you in a room what can you do you can't do nothing i can sing i can dance i can play a guitar he said but if i put you in a room what you gonna do he's telling this dude clive davis this and i was wow. like god dog i gave i almost gave prince some sugar that night i said boy i said prince boy you had me told, I was over there dying, man. I said you went in on Clive, man. He said, man, I'm, I'm telling these ain't scared of none of these dudes, man. And it's just a thing where he said, you know, I I I have honed my craft and I know what I can do. I can get on the stage and I can flat foot kill it, and it can't nobody tell me no different. That's what you can do. And when I talk to singers and I say when I, when when they talking about I want to be a star, I want to do this, and I'm like going okay. Like you, what's the little girl, Kelly, Kelly, um, um, I just did a thing Clarkson? with her. Uh, uh, not Kelly Clarkson, uh, uh, Tori Kelly.
0: Roland.
3: No, Tori Kelly. Oh,
0: Tori Kelly, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, Tori Kelly. Yeah. She, she's, see, when I, whenever, whenever I would watch, when I see you, I see Tori, I see like some other singers like that who can just, when you strip it down and they can just sing, S-A-N-G then that's when you know that's, that is honing your craft. You've been, like, trained like this since you was a kid, man. you like Michael Jackson, that kind of almost military training, like how to, how to, you know, on the stages of Broadway, like all of that kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing that ain't no fly-by-night. That's work that's put in. That's what right. I noticed. A lot of stuff that's not been, when, when you look at what's happening now, It's not that same kind of work that's been put. I don't know if people have a healthy respect for what it takes, be it this operated this frequency is the work, the amount of work that we would have to do. When I was playing with Prince, man, I mean, I was playing with a pack of geniuses, Michael Bland and Sonny T and Prince and all these cats, man. I, I was way out of my pay grade. You know, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is woo wee. This is banana sandwiches right here, so I gotta come in early and I gotta stay late if I want to keep up with these dudes. And that was just work, so I mean I didn't sleep hardly because I didn't want to get sent to the house. I didn't want to be like, okay, this dude can't keep up. So uh, thank you for trying, Morris. We're gonna see you the next round, bro. Good luck. I didn't never want to hear that conversation, so I said, how do I keep up? I don't read music. I, I you know I can hear, but. Press told me, he said, you know, if you gonna be here, bro, hieroglyphics, whatever you got to do, because when I show you something, we want to keep it moving. I show you this in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we going on to the next song. You just learned the song in 15 minutes, and now we're going on to the next thing. So it's just like, we ain't got time to wait for you, bro. Hmm. So what do you do? You bust your tailpipe, and you go home and learn it, and you drill it in, and you figure it out. And that's what you have to do on a daily basis, operating at that frequency. And I think that's what you and I understand. I think that's what's missing in a lot of stuff now. You know, we got a lot of things that technology can fix, but there's some things technology can't fix. When all of the power goes off, can you do what it is you say you do? Can Can I pick up a piano and go do something without all of my super sounds and all of my crazy synthesizers and all this other stuff? If I can sit down on a piano and make something, since I'm supposed to be some kind of keyboard player. Can you stand up and sing a cappella and blow somebody away just with your voice? Yes, ma'am, you can, because you've practiced. You've worked at it. I've practiced. I've worked at it.
0: So with that said, do you think social media has – I think it's interesting because social media today has shown people are great you know, there's been a lot of singers who are great at singing a cappella um, online and the phone directly in their hand and, pu- you know, putting it up to their face. But then some of that hasn't translated to professionalism when someone wants to book them or them translating mm-hmm. into singing coverage, t- I mean, original songs. And like I've seen some people who are really good at singing cover tunes, but then when it translates into original music, there's no vibe there or vice versa. They're great at their own original music, but then they can't translate into cover tunes. And I think for real, that's what Prince was so good at noticing, you know, and you and all the, you know what I mean? Y'all came in there playing his music and y'all's own music. Like it was like, you know, charting on billboards every other day. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, Prince was, was quite, the anomaly and um you know he was a severe cat not only when it came to like doing his own but then one of the things that he liked the most was when we did covers and when we would do a lot of that stuff that kind of like celebrated a lot of what he cut his teeth on and what he loved and so a lot of that was was, was, was pure enjoyment for him especially like the after shows and stuff like this but but what it also signified was that he was a very well-rounded artist, you know, and he was very smart. And and I think, you know, there the, the thing about this, the age that we're in, it seems, is it's extraordinarily a quick-moving thing. Like everything changes in an instant. It's very easy for for folks, I think, to get like to become dinosaurs in the game because if you don't keep up, like. With everything that that's that constantly comes in the game that changes. Look at what Zoom came out of nowhere, and like now Zoom is like a thing that nobody can hardly live without. And it just was a few short months ago when every when this kind of came around. This was like that tech now has ushered in a whole other level of performance, and now people like doing these joint things and all of these different. So and and everybody has the attention span of a gnat. So. It's like they'll do this, and then they on to the next thing, on to the next thing. There's so many things. Click over here, click over there, and this DJ's got a show. This DJ is Teddy Riley and Babyface and Badu and Jill Scott, and it's just like a lot of different things that you can focus your attention to now, and it's just a matter of then how do you cut through the noise of all of the different things that's out there and find a niche and find an audience. And I think that's the thing. I mean, even myself, I'm just like looking at this whole thing and just saying, where do I, in the new paradigm, where do I fit in? How do I not become a dinosaur and and be able to keep up? But I think at the core of it, it's going to always, Prince told me always, is that Morris, at the end of the day, it is, the song is king. Song is king at the end of the day. And when you have a song, if you have a great song, then you got something. And that was always his mantra for me is like song is king. And that's why the ultimate respect has to be paid to the song. And then when you, then you perform the song, you do your work and you make sure to do whatever performance that you do, you go out and kill. And I think, um, as I focus myself, you know, as, as I'm looking at, like I said, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Like many people are, I think right now in this age of like. We, we have to realize that the dynamic for musicians has changed in an incredible way. Our business is made up of people being together, being yeah. in one space and being in a situation where we are all caked up together and we vibing off of each other's energy and we all dancing and sweating. And Prince used to say it all the time at our show, look at all of us in here having a good time. He says, it's nothing but love in here. How come we can't take this on the outside and do it on the outside? But that was the thing that when people got together, we all was on the same page inside of that venue. And now that's the dynamic that's changed. You know, you think about moving forward, like what happens in in a a show scenario until there's, there's something happens to change with this virus situation that somebody standing next to you starts coughing. I mean, then that's going to be the ultimate distraction at a show is that, Oh, Oh, this because you don't know who's got, what is that a COVID cough? or Is that the, 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 you know, your allergies kicking up? What is that? You, you cough. And, 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 and so I think that this is going to be interesting. I, I can't make any predictions because we're in uncharted territory here, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with live concerts, how people can get back in a place together not worried about getting sick, and not worried about you know because you know people are dying out here. It's like crazy right now, and it's yeah. like how do we how do we as artists to mitigate that situation and 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 come up with a new way. So so obviously technology is going to have to play a big part in that, the monetization of our art and our work because if you think about it, actually the 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 um, the thing about what we do is is funny is. People take music for granted a lot because it's like, it's what we all use. Everybody loves music. We all like our radio when we get in the car or our, our MP3s or whatever we want to play. Everybody feels like that's mine, that's ours, but there's artists that create that. Yeah. And so, so it's like, they sometimes forget that part of it, but they, but they, it's, it's like, that's part of my fabric. I, I love my music. I want to be able to have my music, but but there's another component in that, and and there's people who create that. There's people that who create that that are now finding themselves in dire straits because they have no revenue stream, and we have no idea how long the government will will look out for people like us that they call so-called gig workers. And it's so it's, so it's an interesting paradigm, and an interesting time, and and it's something that I think moving forward that we all have to consider. How do we survive and how do we function in this new reality?
0: You just answered a lot more of my questions than one. I really do appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you do have to step back, and you. I think it's going to change back to a slower paradigm, honestly. It's just so much. I was speaking to... Um, <sighs> On my podcast um, before this, mm-hmm. I was speaking to Barry Benson, and he was saying every Friday, you know, the aggregators get, are getting almost 24,000 new singles every Friday.
3: You know, where yeah. the
0: labels used to have a radio person coming in there every Tuesday, you know, they're getting like 24,000 singles or projects, you know. That's a lot of catalog. you know, for people who, some people who can't really perform, and some people, like you said, if you strip everything down, can they really, you know, bring out that emotion and really perform, mm-hmm. you know, organically. So I do agree with you. It's not, it's going to be a serious shift and you just got to, that, that, that music and you having the gift is what's going to shine through the most. So
3: yeah, I do respect I, I, agree. That. I totally agree. And I and I think, I think this is, I think this is a good time for good, for great artists. I think, um, because the ones that can do it are going to be able to, do, to, to, to go and do it. And, um, and the ones that can shine, I think, are the ones that's going to be able to benefit. I think what we have to do is stay on top of the emerging technologies that, like, the tip jars and the digital tip jars and the different things like this that will allow us to be able to monetize our performances and, and things like this. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I'm investigating. And, and just, you know, still being able to get our music and message out. I think it's also a time that we can, uh, you know, socially conscious music, can thrive uh, in a time like now. There's a lot of things that's going on that we have to be aware of and and, and address. I mean, like the, this brother that just got shot, um, um, the brother that just got shot uh, that that's just jogging. I mean, it's like we can't allow situation where we're all cooped up in COVID and then we just sweep that under the rug and just be like, oh yeah, well that happened. Okay, uh, what's for dinner? We we can't be in a mode. We have to address that. And we have to use our voices even in quarantine to be able to say, like, when we see stuff that's not right, we have to address it and we have to just say something and do something about that,
0: right? Right, yeah, you're right. It is an interesting time, and then hearing about that shooting just really, you know, my I have a father, you, you guys, my brothers, my nephew, yeah. you know, it's just like you, the stuff that you just like, oh my gosh, something else, here we go again, you know, and I'm tired yeah. of. Rest in peace. I'm t- just over it. It's just like where are our advocates who really speak on the front line. You know what I mean? We can do over so Absolutely. much. Absolutely.
4: You it's, know, it's so but funny. after
0: a while, goodness, I'm not asking for Martin Luther King to, you know, come on back and Malcolm X, but at some point it's like, you telling me we don't have nobody?
3: But but we have, exactly. And I think we, I think we do have a vacuum, a, a leadership vacuum. Uh, there is. There's a lot of voices out. But there's a, there seems to be no central leadership in terms yeah. of like somebody like a Martin or a Malcolm that we could look at and just say, uh, you know, there's a few people that that are that, that are, uh, um, I think, have some voices. You know, the great Dr. Cornell West and and uh, and, a, and a few folks that's out there in the game that's like talking about some things and talking about situations. I think there's those situations out there, but I think. Collectively, we have to look at like why is it that, that, that we're so fragmented? One thing I liked about the back in the day was the struggle is that everybody I, I could just walk up on brother I didn't even know him and just like you just like what's up brother you put the, the whole fist up and everybody there was a unity kind of thing because we know we were in the same situation and um, that, that you you know that, that 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 you were you know in a position where you are being oppressed. And so uh, I think that was just more of a unity type of scenario in, in a situation like that. And I think that's something that now, you know, people feel like they've made it and they're doing good. They don't need to worry about stuff like that. I'm just every man for himself. And I think that we are brother's keeper. And I think that if, if the only way things change is people have to unify and be on the same accord. And, you know, a person like me, man, I look, I grew up around all kinds of folks. I love everybody. I'm a Christian, and I believe that is the central piece of, of Christianity is that uh, it's, it's under God. You have to love everybody. That's, that's not an option. If you say you're a follower of Christ, that is a requirement, is that you've got to love everybody. It didn't say love the soul brothers, but just leave the, these Jewish cats over here alone. It's everybody. You have to love everybody. That's my understanding. And so yeah. for me, then I try to figure out how can we all get along? How can we work together? How can we live together? How can we do uh, these types of things? But, you know, evil is, is, is prevalent. And it's a lot of wicked and evil people. There's, a, there's always has been. There's a lot of folks. And, and I think um, we have to navigate these these situations that we find ourselves in. And I'm just trying to be of a watchful nature because if you believe the bible you also know that there's some bad times coming and there's going to be some things in prophecy that's going to have to be fulfilled and that means yeah. a lot of you know mark of the beast kind of stuff is going to be that kind of a thing so we're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff i that's that's my belief and that's my thing is i, I think that there's a lot of things coming and and what i'm trying to do is just maintain and and, and you know do what i love to do which is music and and uh uh that sort of a thing. So that's, that's where I am with it.
0: I totally agree. I do believe it's more on the way. You definitely got to be designed. You definitely got to, you know, how do you be prepared? You got to get a relationship with God because he can show you stuff that, you know, that will prepare Absolutely. you, you know, for stuff. So, well... I so appreciate this, joining me on this Kmart Talks podcast. What are you up to now? Who are you listening to before you go? Like, what's going on with you in the meantime?
3: Uh, Well, you know, I'm still working with the new power generation. You know, we've been, uh, you know, with Mackenzie and Tony M and Sonny and all those folks, and and, um, we're still working. (laughs) Yes, of course, with yourself and and so uh, we still have that, we're working on this new record, and uh, that's something that, we, that we're constantly you know, working on to come out with something that we feel like uh, amazingly good about. I'm doing my own solo stuff with my project uh, that I do. I, I had a, um, uh, a, a project called World Symphony for Peace, I'm working, I'm tweaking the name on it, but uh, it was a, It was a wonderful thing about traveling the world and, and meeting with musicians and just kind of like um, just just showing that people are more connected, uh, aside from politics, religion, and, and other things, just pe- just human beings. just despite whatever your belief leanings may be, just as human beings, just being able to be human beings and appreciating other people's culture, other people's uh, ideology or whatever. You know, I believe what I believe, but I do believe that all people are, are, are created equal in terms of people. And so I just think there are more things that connects people than not. And so that's what the, that was all about. And I travel the world, and like I was living in Shanghai, China, for like six months and something uh, thereabouts. And and, um, and it was cool. It was a cool experience to be in China. I'd never been to China, and it's very in length of time. And then I just go and live there for length of time and it was just really not what I expected. And and mm. I think a lot of people would experience that because, you know, a good majority of Americans don't even travel. This is a very large country and, and a lot of people think that this is the world and it's not. It's, it's right. just a part of the world. and And you have been blessed to travel. I've been blessed to travel. And I think Anybody that gets to travel, you get to see that we are indeed all connected. If nothing else from this virus, it just showed us that we are all connected. One person that contracted this thing, as, at least as the story goes at this point, just, you know, you, you it's, it's an exponential thing that happens. It just starts to spread around because of the connectivity that we all have, the globalization when that I- we all have that means that one person can be on a plane from china to america in two days you're here you know one day good all night all day ride and you're in the united states now and you're like now in the mass of people that's the way the world works so we are connected and so Man. to me then it seems to me then we want to be connected in a good way rather than in a bad way so to me that's what it. that's where i look at it and so i'm always going to do my best to like be an ambassador for, for peace and an ambassador for love, ambassador for music. That's what I want to do. And then I leave the crazy at somebody else, but that's what I'm trying to do in my existence. I, I played one of the greatest musicians in the world that, the, that that will go down in history as one of the greatest that they ever did the game. So I'm cool on that part. It's like, what do you do now with your legacy? What do, you, what do you do now? You know, you jumped around on the stage with Prince. So now what do you do? That's what I'm trying to figure out at this point in my own career. Is where I want my legacy to be. I've already made my history with Prince. And so now I want to do some good in the world and, and, and do some good when it comes to people and kids and elderly people. That's the kind of stuff that's important to me.
1: Well, you guys heard it here first from Morris Hayes. Such a sweet way to end an interview I'm forever grateful for his friendship, his brotherly love. A thing that you guys may not know about Morris is that every Mother's Day, he calls my mother and he wishes her a happy Mother's Day. No lie, since I was 13 years old. No lie. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I just feel like I'm already in a somber tone remembering Prince. It's your girl, Ashley Tamar. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast, um, this podcast with me. I really appreciate it. If you have anything that you would like to say, please, you know you guys can send me messages here. So please do. I love hearing from you guys. And I have some amazing, eclectic, different podcasts on deck. David Brewer, the vocal coach, to me, Beyonce, Kelly Rowland, Latavia, Nikki, Nina, and Kelly Rowland is on deck coming up next. I really, really hope that you gain something from this, inspired. If not, please tell me how I can help. (laughs) And until next time, it's your girl Ashley Tamar. Visit me at ashleytamar.com, Instagram, Ashley Tamar Music, Twitter, the Ashley Tamar, YouTube, The Tamar Davis. I know, so many different names, because at first I was going by Tamar Davis, but now I'm putting in my first name, so don't judge me. All right, you guys, until next time, please stay safe, stay prayed up, eat right, try to eat herbs, take in your herbs, try to take in your vegetables, drink more water, stay away from the sugar. And be well. Until next time. Love you.
2: This is the Terry Marv Podcast. Wake up. Hi, hi. You're beautiful. Blessed. You feel me? Out. When you found me, I was just a piece of clay. I was formless. You gave me a new name with the breath of life. And I now live abundantly. All I needed was the pile and the blood on Calvary. But. To Power can sometimes turn to shame, too much desire. Sometimes make you feel the same, but forgive me, yes, it's how you win the game. I beg the truth, now I know the truth, and that is when you came and said, I was beautiful, loved and blessed. I'm better, better than, than the day, day before, because you made me. Complete.
4: Just plant the seed A constant battle To stay ahead of the game Is anybody famous? When everybody wants fame Always trying to break you down Thinking that it'll raise a up. I just wanna be happy Come take this bitter cup from me If I ever Write down my life story could truly say truly We are fame and glory I was just a piece of clay In need in of the potter's hand, hand. Cause When you whispered in my ear The words I somehow now understand Oh, beautiful Loved and blessed
2: I'm better than the day before Cause you made me Just let the seed no. Everything you made you said That's good. Before the fall of man you said Every time I walk in faith That's good. You let me see another day no. Before the earth was made you said Tomorrow. I will be the way and you'll Go, know. Knowledge and understanding, understanding is good And when I wake up in the morning All I hear in my hood is people saying that the.
4: From the darkness and now I just must confess love uh, beautiful, uh, loved uh, When you're free,
2: when you're free, when free you indeed. indeed All, All you, gotta indeed. you gotta do is just plant the seed Hey, hey
4: Down, still, I must confess that I am. When you want to give up, don't cause you know you've always got a friend. Oh.
3: Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Tim and Kyle Durette from Queen Sugar, and you're listening to Ashley Tamar on Tamar Talks.
2: It's gonna be a new day.
4: stormy night no love no hope inside don't cry he is coming don't die without no To the left of us Flowers
2: to me what's that in your hand i said fruit from the apple tree would you like to take a bite and make our way upstream before we left the garden came a sight so tempting saying who are you and where did you come from i want to get to know you have anything you want to have what you please don't say i didn't want you a price you pay forever don't eat from this apple tree he said Bum bum bum. bum, 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 bong bong bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bong bum, 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 bum. So who are you and where did you come from? I want to get to know you, have anything you wanna have What you please, don't say I didn't warn you A price you pay forever, don't eat from this apple tree